When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. He's Doug Lay Maurice. He is Stephen Means. We're chugging along towards the national championship game on Monday, Ohio State against Alabama. Another day full of interviews, like really full, like starting at 11 a.m. You're on the phone with Nick Saban. All the way up until like 5.30 p.m., you're on the phone with uh, – who did we get last today? Josh Myers? Oh, Kevin Wilson. So it was like we really ran the gamut today of just like – it was a long day of talking football and uh, a fun day of talking football. I thought we got some really interesting answers on the Ohio State side of things about uh, just some colorful things, getting some, some background on some guys and some things for the future. We're going to talk about that later in the podcast. We wanted to start with what I think are the most urgent things that people are trying to find out about, which is – What's the status of Ohio State's roster? What's the status of Ohio State's quarterback? So we'll go with the big subject first. Uh, Ryan Day was obviously asked about where things stand. He was specifically asked, how many players do you have available? He said he didn't know the answer, but did say we'll have plenty of players to play on Monday. So this narrative is kind of, I know you hate that word, Doug, but this this storyline is kind of hung out there all week of what is Ohio State's situation? Is it bad enough that it's going to potentially postpone this game? I'm starting to think that that might be – I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it, this could be as early as tomorrow. We might be done worrying about that because Ohio State told me that their last day to test was going to either be Friday or Saturday. I heard today that it might actually be Friday. Once they get to that threshold, and as long as there's not another big spike, I think they're good for Monday, and I think they're playing this game Monday. If I had to predict right now, I would say they're playing this game Monday. And um, Ryan Day, if Stephen, you were there, you could mm-hmm. tell on his face was not – um, enthused about having to answer these questions. I think he's, it's probably a mixture of uh, being tired of it, not know, knowing, also knowing he's not going to disclose anything, but also it, I think the frustration is evident there of this is not what they're supposed to be talking about this week. In this year, it kind of is. This is what 2020 college football is, but he's not, he's, you, you understand the frustration for them, for him, for the players, for that whole program to have to be talking about, or not talking about who isn't going to be there on Monday rather than being able to talk about being at full force going into that game. And I think it's more of a frustration, especially since we both get on the Alabama call well, and that's not at all the conversations with Nick Saban and his coordinators. It's a lot more football talk. 
while with Ryan Day, it's is Justin Fields healthy? Did you guys force him to go back on the field after he got hit in the ribs? Um, is the defensive line depleted? Are you guys going to be able to play on Monday? It's it's a lot more COVID talk than it is on the other side, which is probably some of the – no, it's the only thing that's frustrating. They could put out a list of who has who's not going to be available, and then we wouldn't have to ask about it. Very true. Yeah. So, they've made their bet on this. This yeah. is what – I mean, so it's one of those things. This is required media availability by the playoff committee. And then if you don't want to reveal stuff, then you're going to get asked about it. So – it's their own call. I'm not saying that it's not. I mean, there is a way to say, here's the list. These are the unavailable players. And then you don't have to answer that stuff. Then when you get into, hey, you're going to be, these guys are out. Who needs to step up? And then you can talk football about it. But that's not how they decide to do it, which is fine. I think that's and a to that point, point. Yeah. In, in the media guide, Alabama already has their two deep. You can go look at who the starters are already. And that media guy's been out for a week for the Ohio State. We're not going to find out until, what, 90 minutes before the game starts? You know, I was doing a radio show uh, hit earlier this week, and the, the host asked me – it was the day all this was coming out. And he asked me, you know, all this uncertainty, and it leads to kind of speculation. And don't you – is this another thing that, you know, Kevin Warren screwed up and the Big Ten screwed up? And, and I was like, no, this is something Ohio State – decided this is Ohio State's decision to be very vague about who is and isn't available how many people are or are not affected by this in any given week this is all on Ohio State now again if you're an Ohio State fan you actually it's interesting because you're all asking us for specific information but you're also is it really in the best interest of your team for that information to be out there that's a different question I suppose but yeah I agree with what Doug is saying I think a lot of this comes back to Ohio State and um, how they've chosen to to do that so um, we'll, we'll pass along specificity when we have it, when we feel like we can report it as true fact. But I, a lot of those questions are still going to come down to, to Monday evening, as they always do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. nowhere else to go with that. No. Yeah. I do think it is interesting, though. I was asking questions about how are they I, – I sympathize from the player's standpoint. If, you know, if you can just imagine, you put yourselves in their shoes, like you're coming off the biggest win of your careers, this, this very like revenge filled, satisfying win, you barely get to celebrate it. And then you've got more positive tests, taking starters out, taking other guys out potentially for the next biggest game, the truly biggest game of your career that's coming up. And I, 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 I've tried to ask some questions to, to kind of just kind of get the feel of, of how they're processing that. And I, I think that's something I give Ohio State's coaches some credit for that I think at any time these could have been real body blows for the team either against Northwestern certainly against Clemson to lose players of significance going into those games and the guys who they keep calling on that next rung down keep stepping up pretty substantially you could maybe I guess quibble that it maybe didn't happen as much in the Northwestern game especially on offense but certainly in the Michigan State game certainly against Clemson uh, they did not apparently miss like regular starters that were out for those games and they, they who who they may have only found out a couple days before the game that those guys were out I, I think some of that is because the positions they've lost things at there have been some depth some at least some level of proven depth obviously the offensive line's a different conversation but you know when you lost Baron Browning for a week and Tuck Boylan for a week you just plugged in Justin Hilliard who's a former five-star guy who's a veteran here and in the secondary it just kind of opened up an opportunity for somebody else who may be actually more talented 
to play at this point. We were already asking questions when that secondary was full. And so and pretty much vouching for it, we should see some other guys get some opportunities and have some personnel change. COVID just forced them to do that. So I, I do think if it's if there are some hits within the position room that there have been rumored to be some hits in, that's a little bit of a different conversation because we haven't necessarily seen that level of depth come from that room. And that would be what three guys from one, three or four guys from one room who are, who are at a very vital spot who wouldn't be playing on Monday. What did you guys take from what Saban said today? Because he was very cautious to kind of put out the player safety is paramount. That's our first priority, but also said that with like a laundry list of all the reasons why I think it would be the wrong decision to move the game that it would um, uh, prolong the season. It would coincide with the day that they have to decide on NFL stuff. Apparently that it was, there was a third reason in there that I'm forgetting, but he had like three or four reasons why he thought that it was, it would pretend. Oh, Alabama was coming back to school next week. Yeah. I so now you're introducing, was. you're introducing tens of thousands of, so now I guess potentially exposing them more. I thought it was an interesting answer. I thought the, uh, if, if you look past the kind of platitude of, um, well, certainly player safety is the first thing you could I, read between the lines. I don't think that was the message he was trying to get across there. It's not his call. And of course he wants to play and his reasons might be somewhat valid, but like if they can't play, they can't play. And like we said before, I don't know that anybody wants like a decimated Ohio state team that can barely play playing. So um, it's fine. I mean, it's one of these things. It's like sometimes, like, what do you? It's like, what do you think he's gonna say? He's gonna say the thing that benefits his team. His team doesn't have a COVID outbreak at the moment. They're fine. He wants to play, and he's got to say the safety thing because it's like a preamble that you have to put at the front of every COVID discussion in the country right now. It's like health and safety first. Like, it's like you could like it's like the thing at the the end of like a bank commercial. You could run at the beginning of the saving comments. The health and safety of college football amateur players is the most important thing involved in COVID outbreak, and then it's like also. I don't want to have it move back, but I had that thing at the beginning about safety. So did they want to ask him about his daughter? He was not asked about it. Are you kidding me? Chickens. Absolute chicken. Nobody asked about his daughter. I actually did not. Out on Twitter. Yeah, I didn't get called on. I was in the queue and did not get called on. I don't think – has either one of us been called on for a Nick Saban question? I I had the second question he was asked on Monday. Okay. Either time I didn't get called on. Before all this went down. So how many people who got called on for Saban were Bama writers versus how many were national or Ohio State writers? I I, I don't have that breakdown. but Casa Grande and then maybe two others, Alabama writers. I, I actually – they don't identify people by outlet usually, yeah, so I don't know. They are, but you know who they yeah. are. I mean, all just of off the people that you just kind of know, just being that one's our sister company and the other ones are just national people, I think maybe one or two Alabama Who from writers. the Ohio State beat asked questions? Dan Hope and Patrick Murphy are the only people I can And they didn't pull a trigger. And Bill Rabinowitz, yeah. They didn't no, pull a trigger didn't. on what's up with no. your kid? No. This is why I got to get on these calls. How can you not ask him about it? It's all anybody cares about. It's literally, Nathan, how many hits did your story get the other day? It was the most popular story on our site. It was the insane. country is falling apart. There's a global pandemic. Every player on the Browns has COVID. And the number yep. one story on our site is Nick Saban's daughter pops Talking off. trash. Yep. It was, it was one, of those, uh, one of those great little zombie stories that, like, you go to bed and you're like, oh, you know what? That got a, that got a little bit of traffic today. And you wake up the next morning and you're like, oh, my 95. God. This, yeah. this thing has exploded. 
it's like a it's like a gremlin or whatever like it stayed up after midnight and look what happened i get the bama writers might know that like if you ask saban that question and you're on the beat that he's going to tear your heart out and never ask a question again but we shouldn't care what do we care ask the question no national people ask that it's literally the most interesting thing in this game other than like all the first I, heisman guy i think it, i think it is in it's interesting, though, how now being on two calls with Nick Saban and then watching some other um, media availabilities he's done is he'll answer certain questions knowing that he's going to get asked about it and then go, I'm not answering any more questions about it. He did that with Jalen Waddle today where he gave us an update and then he said, uh, now that's that. I'm not really answering any more Jalen Waddle questions. And I guess well, I and, he's kind of – In his defense, there are people who tend to ask questions if they, as if they weren't listening to the other questions that have already been asked. Um, but man, there was a lot of that on the day on the day on the Ryan Day and Justin Fields call. A lot let's of that. Talk, let's talk about Justin Fields. He was obviously the other health update that people wanted today. Personnel update. Um, it took like, several questions before anybody got got around to the how are you feeling? Like what's going on here? And uh, you know his response was pretty similar to what it was last week with the supposed the phantom thumb issue, whatever that was. He kind of just said, I'll be ready for Friday night. He did want to go into a long um, explanation of why he felt the uh, uh, Ohio State medical. He thought that some of the things he said after the game was taken out of context. So he wanted to try and set some things straight. I don't know that he necessarily did. I didn't take what he said today to be that different than what I thought he meant after the game. Um, But maybe on a national level that, that needed that kind of clarity. I don't know. But um, right away, you know, I made a big point about how when he sat down for his post-game interview after the game and you could just kind of hear his whatever it was, kidneys, lungs, ribs, that whole mess in his chest was just kind of sounded like together. an old man sits down after a long <laughs> day of work. It, you heard his kidneys? It's like, oh, that I don't know what it was. doesn't sound good. No, it might have been a spleen. might have been a spleen. <laughs> a liver, I'm not sure. But something in there was like grinding on like, in a wrong way. And he, he actually even said, what was the quote he said today? Like somebody asked him about him changing his mechanics. And he's like, well, sometimes you have to do that when your body parts aren't responding the way they're supposed to or something <laughs> yeah. like that. So like definitely like insinuating that he got crunched in there a little bit, which we all saw. So th- today I was listening. I had my ears peeled for when he sat down. Not a word, not a, not a sound. You could hear Nothing. a pen drop when he sat down. So that was – I thought that was like the first positive sign if you're, if you're hoping Ohio, uh, Justin Fields is healthy on Monday that he didn't sound like, as Steven said, an old man sitting down in a rocking chair or whatever. Okay. Um, I get it. This kid has not been healthy in a postseason game in his two years here. And, yes, you're right. He did sound awful when he sat down the other day. But he sounded fine today. And it, it kind of, I think it got out of hand. It, it went off the rails and kind of was people were insinuating, which is why he needed to set the record straight, that he played and they forced him to play and he didn't want to be out there. And that's where some of the questioning went. When it wasn't – that dude came back out and threw a 52-yard touchdown to Chris Olave and a 40-yard touchdown to Jamison Williams, and he scrambled some more. Now, he's not fully healthy, but nothing about what he said after the game last Friday or today made it seem like I never felt like anybody forced him to play football. And that's where I felt like a lot of these questions were headed. It's not he missed forcing. one play. It's not forcing. He said that they didn't give him a diagnosis. And they just they did whatever they had to do, and he went back in the game. Listen, man, unpaid amateurs. Unpaid amateurs with no power and no union 
and nobody fighting on their side. And I get it. They trust the coaches and they trust the medical staff and the trainers. I don't think it's not that he doesn't trust them, but if some, someone's got to look, help look out for these guys and it's got to be us. So I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, uh, what am I not doing? I'm not, a, I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong, but you've got to ask about this stuff. This is a guy's health. And he was like, as Justin has been at times in his career about these things, I think it was accidentally honest after the yep. game. And then it's like, whoa, whoa too honest. Because they don't want us knowing the ins and outs of anything. And, and Justin's just saying, what's up? So, I mean, you've got to, I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't apologize for any media pushing on that. Now, the hard thing is, is it's not really Justin's place to have to try to defend anything or explain anything it's the coaches yeah. and the medical staff and, and that's and 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 rob aller from the columbus dispatch did a did a story about it and talked to to dr jim borchers about it and so people are asking questions but i think you got to ask questions you got to ask questions because this is the way this is the way college athletics works and so um you know I don't know what happened, but that dude got crushed. And the idea that, like, he came back in after one play is not, like, proof that he's fine. The idea that he came back into one play is, like, he looked like he got snapped in half. It seems by every indication he got a shot, and then he came back in in one play. So that's why people are asking questions. And I get it. And football, I get it. Football players, that's how it works. I get it. But you got to ask, man. You got to ask. No, well, I think, what I, I agree think with was, you ask you ask Ryan Day those questions, and if we would have gotten Borches, you ask him those questions. But when you're getting into, um, did you ever like? Can he protect himself out there? That those are not like those are not questions for him. Those are questions for the people who are in charge of that, who aren't going to answer it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's Ryan not Day's, our fault. Ryan Day's it's answer. Not our fault. The, for good. Yeah. Right. Ryan people, Day's. Uh, College, the co people in charge of college sports hide all the time and they force it on the kids. That is not a, a new occurrence. So we, the, the thing that I think you have to be able to distinguish is like no one's blaming Justin Fields. If Justin Fields is getting pressed on any of this, it is in trying to make sure that Justin Fields and players like him are being treated fairly. So I, if Justin got, I, I wasn't on it. So I don't know exactly how Justin reacted, but it's in service of Justin that people are trying to do that, I think. And in service of players like him, who, as we said, are kind of on their own in a lot of these things. Ryan Day's answer today was essentially that this it's out of his hands. It's up to the medical staff. He was, people were asking him questions like, what was, what was your thought process? What was your evaluation? And his answer was, it wasn't my thought process. It wasn't my evaluation. Um, how much of that you believe? I don't know. I tend to believe that. I think that Ohio State, from what I've seen in my one plus years here they seem to be on top of things from a medical standpoint but i know people are but i think justin fields felt some responsibility to stand up because he thought some of that got twisted into something out of the program right where they're just like or mm -hmm. friday night light or not friday night it's a varsity blues or whatever we're just like loading a guy up with a syringe and sending him back out there and maybe he can't feel his toes but at least he can keep playing football and his spine's hanging on by a thread or whatever i think he felt some need to like defend ohio state a little bit from that concept but i think he's gonna play monday i think he'll probably be okay maybe he'll be affected by the injury but uh what are you gonna do at this point 
We're going to take a break there. We're going to come back. You leave these pauses. I don't know what you want us to do in the pauses. You can see our faces. We're not talking. (laughs) I see that. What do you want us to do? I thought there was like some banter here. If it doesn't have to be an interview. No, 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 no. I I know, but the banter. See, I always say your names because sometimes there is. The banter is good. I know you like the banter. But listen, man. I'm when I got something to say, I'm gonna jump in. You don't need to hold the silence for me. If I got it, I'm bringing it. All right, I'm Julie enjoying Noy. this because it's almost it's, it's like this is the first time we've used Zoom, but we're not really sure when we're supposed to talk. You know what's really funny about this? Like last night we got done with the pod, and I literally sent a text. I was like, you know what? That was a good pod. We were on it tonight. That was sharp. That was a good pod. And then tonight, this is just, our northwestern. Jinxed I jinxed the no hitter. When you this process, is our northwestern. do you go back and take out? ums and dead air when you process or no i don't go back and take that stuff out but i you i'm gonna go back and take some stuff out tonight i think because i i it depends how much time i have i will dum and d dead air the podcast at times yeah sometimes for me it's a timing thing because you can look at you can has the little like that audio readout and you can sometimes tell when there's like a gap and then just like a quick fat burst and you're like oh somebody said um right there you can take it out but uh tonight yeah. this We'll put a little thing on the pod description online that says, this podcast has been edited for content. This oh, podcast has been formatted to fit your ears. Are you taking this out? I don't know. This, this no, this is, this is riveting, no, keep, obviously. Keep it in. Yeah, no, keep this in. Keep in the fact that you This is the gold. This might be the only yeah. thing I leave in, actually. I'm going to cut out all that stuff where we revealed exactly which Ohio State players are out and which um, exactly yeah. which uh, the, the <laughs> full x-ray of, of Justin Fields' ah. innards. We're gonna. I'm gonna leave all that stuff out, and it's just gonna be this. It's just gonna us be the shortest about... I talk episode of all time. Silence, and then us talking about silence. Even yeah, even episode, better, just silence. Shortest episode, and it'll still be 57 minutes. Just <laughs> just this for 57 minutes. We're gonna take that break that I threatened to take, and then we're gonna come back and get back to football talk here on Buckeye Talk. All right, so we got to talk to some new coordinators today. We talked to Alabama defensive coordinator Pete Golding. We talked to offensive coordinator for Ohio State, Kevin Wilson. Both of those guys, very verbose guys. I felt like we got a lot of stuff just kind of flowing at us. Uh, anybody who's ever heard Kevin Wilson talk knows it's he's what like transcription services were made for, man, because it's like I cannot keep up with my fingers. And uh, he goes 1,000 miles a minute, and it's great. So, um, But I thought both – Pete Golding and Nick Saban all week, Saban, this is the second time we've talked to him, have been very complimentary of Ryan Day as a kind of an offensive mind. And it was kind of, it struck me today that like we've are, we've been talking a little bit and there's been other questions asked to players, asked to Saban about, you know, Ryan Day being a second year head coach and how quickly this has all come together for him. But really uh, that isn't the full angle on that because day was here before that and was already kind of establishing the offensive identity that Ohio state has now different quarterbacks and different personnel. It's been evolving still, even just in this short time frame. But I think that that's one of the things that is kind of crystallized for me over this week is that, well, we keep talking about the, the parts that are firing together to make this offense work right now. And maybe not enough time about the guy who like, laid the blueprint and has been shoveling the, the coal into the furnace or however you want to say it. It feels like this, this, what, what has transpired here as much as Ryan day wants to talk about perseverance and character and all those things, I'm not dismissing him, but the fact that he just thinks about offense, at maybe a different level than 
a, the large percentage of people in college football is a factor here. I think part of his play calling ability is also his, the person, this is technically his fourth year here um, in, in the program, second year as a head coach, obviously, but this is, this personnel fits exactly what he wants to do offensively. Vertical threat as wide receivers are run in a power run game and, and play a lot of play action play. And you couldn't really do that with JT Barrett as much. And Dwayne Haskins was limited as a runner. So there was some things limited there, which you could do with him with Justin Fields as a thrower and what he can do as a runner. And then with the passing threat, the wide receiver threats that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are, but then also Jamison Williams as a vertical threat. And now with Trey Sermon running the way he is and this offensive line being what it is, you, you're seeing what the offense, you're seeing the offense that Ryan Day wants to have at Ohio state at, at its full and peak position. Jamison Williams has like five catches. So I don't want to make the idea. Obviously his usage isn't the same same as the other two, but just the style of wide receiver is I'm not saying his usage is the same as the other two. Okay. He doesn't, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't, I mean, like he hasn't done anything the whole year. No offense to him. It's just, he hasn't done anything. I, I don't know. Are we, have we not, is Ryan Day not talked about a lot about this stuff? I thought like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, are like the two offensive geniuses of college football. Like I, I, I think about this sometimes because um, I grew up in Pennsylvania and Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania. When you're learning your 50 state capitals, I always felt like Harrisburg is a hard one because it's weird. And if you live in Missouri or Nevada or California or Texas, and you're like, what's the capital of Pennsylvania? It's like, is it Philadelphia? Nope. Is it Pittsburgh? Nope. It's like, is there another city in Pennsylvania? And it's like, I grew up 10 minutes from that city. So I knew Harrisburg. So I was like, oh, well, I got one of the hard state capitals. It's right here. That's what Ryan Day is like that to me in some ways that I wonder sometimes if people, you know, if you're a fan of USC football or Texas football or, or Georgia football or, well, not Georgia football, they know, but just like a random football fan. And you're like, who's the Ohio state coach? What was he before that? Cause he'd never been a head coach at any level. He'd been in the NFL before he came before that. He was at Boston college and stuff. And it's like, who is this guy? And that we're just like, well, he's Ryan Day. I don't know. Which, where you, we're supposed to, and I just, I wish I could be in the, because if it was happening, like Dabo Sweeney, I think when Dabo took over, when right uh, Tommy Bowden got fired and they elevated Dabo, and it's like, who's the new Clemson coach? He's like an interim guy. Are they going to keep him? And he didn't really know. And then after a while, all of a sudden, now it becomes Dabo. Like, it just, I, I wonder, like, what is Nick Saban? Like, it feels like a big deal for Nick Saban to say, Ryan Day is good. Because kind of like, who is Ryan Day? Except, like, we know he's good. I do feel like when it comes to quarterback play and quarterback recruiting and that kind of thing, he is lumped in with Lincoln Riley a lot. But it, at the same time, I guess, Nathan, the, if the point that you're making is, like, that it feels like kind of a big deal for Nick Saban to say Ryan Day is really smart and really puts a game plan together and that kind of thing, that does make sense. Because last time these guys played, it was Urban and Nick. And they're like peers. And now Ryan Day and Nick Saban aren't peers. Nick Saban's an old guy on top, and Ryan Day is a young guy coming up. And if it was reversed, if Urban was still here and Alabama's head coach was a second-year guy that, like, literally we kind of didn't know who he was, you know, that would be weird to us. So, like, I wonder sometimes, like, what Alabama – like, if you ask the average Alabama fan right now in game week, who's the head coach of Ohio State? Like, would 100% know? Would 80%? Would 50% be like, I don't know, is it still Urban Meyer? And to us, it's just like, oh, he's Ryan Day. He's really good. 
Yeah, but and, and we've talked about this before too, though. I think one of the contributing factors there is he's also not a guy who kind of leads with his personality um, the way that some of these other people that you talked about too. Now, he hasn't won yet as much as Dallas Swinney. He hasn't obviously won as much as Nick Saban, who doesn't necessarily lead with his personality, but he's just won so much that you have to pay attention to him. But I think that's a factor there too in some of the anonymity that goes along with that. But from these guys, I, that is kind of what I was getting at, was that I think there's – I sometimes it's hard to tell. You get into these things – and people are talking people, – everybody's saying nice things about each other. It's a national championship game. How are you going to just, like, take shots at the guy who also made it to the national championship game against you? But I, I felt that there was, like, a lot of genuine respect being thrown around by Alabama towards Ryan Day. Uh, from the P. Golding side of it, I thought a lot of it was very schematic. It was very um, – you could tell that Ryan Day and Ohio State have given him something to chew on this week. Like uh, I asked about the tight ends, like, how do you, so what do you, when you go up against a team that didn't throw to its tight ends for literally two months because of cancellations and stuff partially. And then now all of a sudden they're like the greatest red zone threats in the country. Like, how do you process that as a defensive coordinator? And his answer was, Oh, that's what they do all the time. Um, they, they disguise a lot of things and do things out of the same formations and, and trick things, you know, and I, I thought he, it gave, it did give me some perspective on the fact that I think um, Alabama, which is this, immensely talented program and so is Ohio State but I think we sometimes stop thinking about it in terms of talent or maybe that's our fault but it, it's that there is a real chess match that's going on here and I think that Marion Ryan Day seems to have their attention you brought up Georgia uh quickly Doug I, I wonder because Kirby Smart that's his first head coaching job too and that's a pretty big program I wonder how long it took for people to kind of see him as a household name being in that a uh, not completely similar because obviously he wasn't an in-house hire, but just I, I don't know if Kirby Starr was a household name the moment he got hired there. I might be wrong about that. But he but it's was Saban's simple. defensive coordinator for like a decade and was waiting for the perfect yeah. job and was winning national title after national title as like Saban's right-hand man. The thing with Ryan Day is that like he just kind of came up, yeah, was only here for two years, and then was a head coach, and he, and he wasn't an outside hire. Um, as, as far as like as assistant coach can be famous, I, I feel like, Kirby Smart was a pretty famous assistant coach and that part of the deal was like, that was like Georgia going and getting Saban's defensive coordinator. This is just like urban Meyer retired and was like, you want it? Like the guy standing next to him. So, uh, but that's like everything. I mean, like, again, I mean, who was, you know, whatever, once upon a time, Nick Saban was a Kent state coach. And it's like, who's this guy? Mm -hmm. So this is how guys start off. You don't start off famous, but Ryan day, Ryan day is pretty anonymous for a guy in a job this big being this successful. I think that's the main thing that probably everybody would agree on. And right. And so far he and Kirby smart sort of a similar level of achievement, right? I mean, um, they've got a team in the national championship game. Now, I guess smart was maybe only one playoff appearance and got to the championship game and day has been there like two years in a row. Um, but Doug, you've talked before about like, there's, isn't there kind of like a second year trend and what that sort of means for a lot of head coaches. And I think we talked about it speculatively months ago about what that could mean for this coming Ohio State season. And that's sort of come to fruition here. Just I mean, there was, there was a time when it was like a big thing because Ur Urban did it at Florida. It was Urban's second year and they won the national title. As Steven said, Trestle did it in year two. Urban here was year three, but it was actually like only year two that they were eligible. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, I think there was somebody else. I think was Les Miles might have been year two. There was somebody else that was like, because the thing is, what happened with a lot of those programs are they didn't bottom out. They just had like a good cooch, a good cooch, a good coach. <laughs> Be who cutting recruited. that one out. <laughs> Buckeye talk. 
I can't believe I said that. While you get it together real quick, Les Miles was year three, so. Oh, it was year three? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was trying there's, – there's, uh, there's other guys. There was like a year two thing for a while. And it was about that – it was a good program. The previous coach didn't bottom out but, like, was recruiting well but just, like, wasn't pulling it together. And then you kind of bring in, like, a guy who brings in some energy and, you know, a new scheme or whatever and pulls it all together. But he inherited talent. You know that he inherited talent. So um, – Ryan Day fits that. I mean, like the Ryan Day situation is so. I mean, there was no bottom out. I mean, it's like, oh, they were like fighting for the national championship every year, and then do you want that job? And it's like, oh, here you go. He got handed to him. So yeah, it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. But if you do it right, you know, that second year coach, it's not like you have to get all your guys. Now, if you're taking over for a coach who was awful, was two and ten, then it's like you got to get five years and get all your recruits in and do that kind of thing. But, yeah, there's been a lot of these high-level programs that this is, this is kind of how it works, and Ryan Day could certainly be the latest. And it's, it's, I think it's interesting to look at it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity, but there's also great pressure. And I feel like it's sometimes Ryan Day has kind of talked about feeling that a little bit. And maybe that goes into what he was saying this year about, you know, this this great opportunity and we can write a story, whatever. Like, I feel like he he knows that he took over a team last year that was – national championship caliber there was going to be probably enough uh, residual from from staying around for this year certainly when Justin Fields did that um, that there's going to be another national championship caliber team but like everybody knows that and there's a certain level of achievement that goes along with that if you're not in if you're not taking advantage of that and at least giving yourself a shot um, and, and getting in certainly not getting into the playoffs but then you know advancing to this stage where they can actually get on the field and maybe win one I think that that's something that sort of maybe sets a stage for what comes next it kind of leaves, uh, you know, sets a tone, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah, but they're also recruiting at a really high level too. So I, I, while some of that might be hyperbole, I get why, he, why he's saying that, but that's also a little bit of hyperbole for a guy who has kept up to the status quo with what the guy before him was doing from a recruiting standpoint. I mean, I do think people have a, an understanding that it might take a guy. Even when you inherit something great, it might take a while. Which again is like the thing I said when I picked him to go nine and three last year. It's like Ryan Day loves getting picked to go nine and three. Who wants to get picked? Hey, oh, oh, you're a first year head coach, never done this before, 12 and 0. Nobody wants that. Chris Holtman, his first year with the basketball team, they were picked to finish whatever, 11th in the Big Ten, and they, they had a great year. And Chris Holtman, like, wouldn't stop talking about that. He loved it. First year coaches do not want you to think they're going to be good. They want to have their team that it's an easy motivational tactic for the team. And it lowers expectations for the fan base. So I do think, I think there was a level of like, I don't know. I mean, Urban left under, he inherited great stuff, but also was a little tough. And I think Ohio State fans got that. So um, he's in, a, it's just, he is in a really good spot. I'm not saying he's in a no-lose situation because I was struck last year. I'm not saying that at all. It's not a no-lose situation, not at Ohio State. I was struck last year after the Michigan win about how really honest he was about sort of the burden he felt of that, of like, I'm an out of state guy. I didn't grow up in the rivalry. This is the greatest rivalry in college football. Here we are. We're undefeated. We got to go win this game. And that was a weight on him. And he really let us in a little bit on that after the fact. So that's one thing. National titles, another, but while I don't think he should feel like, you know, Everybody is thinking, Ryan, you have to win right away here. I don't, I don't think that's really what fans think. 
Um, I do think he feels that to, to some degree, Nathan, which I think is what you're saying. I do think he feels that to some degree. Steve, we're going to get into some individual player conversations here in the, the third segment here. Anything else that like jumped out at you from the coordinator conversations today that is going to be an impact on Monday's game? Not, no, I, I mean, I was asking around different coordinators and different players just about, you know, covering the deep ball, which is something that can be said for both sides of the ball because both of those guys have explosive wide receivers. And I think Kerry Collins probably gave me the best answer yesterday about it and just – you know, you, it's something you have to be mindful of and play it a little differently, but that's nothing that's like stood out from today. Doug, if you had been there today, besides asking Nick Saban about his go. daughter, what else would, would you have asked today? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to write it this week. Um, I might have asked Saban. It's like, I'm trying to figure out what he answered this or not. I'm intrigued by the idea. And I think I mentioned it maybe on the podcast before that, Six years ago, it was Urban Meyer versus Nick Saban. Urban has now passed it off, and he has his successor. And asking Nick Saban something about the idea of, Nick, when you see what happened with Ohio State and Urban Meyer, how important is that to a great coach? Not that you're you know, necessarily going anywhere anytime soon, but the ability to pass it off and keep it going. How important is that to, to a successful coach whenever he does decide to move on? and see where maybe he would have gone with that idea. I'm not sure. That's a pretty reflective question when the national championship game is three days away. So I'm not sure he would have. That feels like almost like an SEC media days in July kind of question. So I'm not sure he would have gone down that road. Um, and then, like, in terms of the game, um, I mean, I feel like all the football stuff, I don't know that the, I think the football stuff is, like, pretty on the surface with a lot of this stuff, right? Or, you know, again, the thing that intrigues me the most about the game is that Trey Sermon is such a run threat now. And if he had not become such a threat in the last two games, it just would feel like people would talk about the Ohio State offense differently. Try and ask Pete Golding about the idea of like, what has that done in the evaluation of Ohio State when now this is what their run game is? As you watch the film or as you try to evaluate them, you know, did your idea of what, of how to defend them change as you watch Trey Sermon's film? or anything like that. Because I just feel like that it really is. I mean, yes, the offensive line has always been good um, all year, but that really is the game changer here to me that of the, of all the, the facets of this game, I feel like Alabama's offense was kind of Alabama's offense from the get. Their defense was kind of the defense. Ohio State's defense was kind of the defense. But the transformation that the, to make Ohio State's offense whole is why I think this game is, is tight as opposed to feeling like it's a pretty big edge to Bama. Yeah, I actually asked uh, Bodie about that. He just kind of – he gave the typical coach – that's one of the things he didn't really go into depth on. He was just, you know, he's been really explosive and we're going to have to get all 11 guys to the ball. He didn't give the – he was really complimentary today, but he didn't really go into depth about any player. Yeah, and it's – you know, Trey Sermon was asked today, like, you know, are you kind of feeling this moment a little bit? Like, do you feel some pressure now to live up to that? You know, I, I tweeted it out or texted it out to our, our followers – Six one four three five zero three three one five. That it, you know, it was kind of a shock to the November version of myself to be sitting at this point and hearing Trey Sermon just get all these questions about how amazing he's been playing, and like national reporters, like, "Hey, I talked to your mom or whatever," and like people doing like big digs on on Trey Sermon this week, which seems like uh, kind of again mind blowing for just a month ago. And you know, do you feel kind of big for like this? You have to live up to this moment. And his response was no, and I think that that was make sure people don't take that 
out of context. He wasn't saying like, I don't feel like this is a big moment. I think he was saying like, I don't have to do more than I have been. I think if I just keep doing what I'm doing, that's going to be good enough to help Ohio state win on Monday. And I thought that was kind of an important insight. If, if that is what comes to fruition, that he's um, kind of ready for the moment as it hits him on Monday night. Let's take another quick break there. Cause we, I want to talk about some specific Ohio state players that got brought up today. Some for the uh, immediacy, but uh, also some for the future. Cause I know people love talking about that. We've got some great answers about one Ohio state player in particular. You're listening to Buckeye talk. All right, we are back to close things out on Buckeye Talk. We got my favorite answer of the week, I think, today. And uh, I I didn't even know I was going to ask it at the start of the – when this guy got up to the podium. But Josh Myers came up to – I guess he wasn't a podium. Came up to the mic and uh, was asked about um, Matt Jones and about how he had, you know, subbed in now twice and done really well and then, you know – how he's held up in, in tough circumstances. And that reminded me like, Oh, Hey, you know, I'm probably going to need to write about Paris Johnson here in a couple of weeks. Like kind of one of our postmortem things. So I asked him like, Hey, so what about, you know, Paris Johnson, same thing. Like he's a tackle and he had to come in and play guard for you at two different spots. And um, you know, obviously that was a tough thing to throw a true freshman out there. And he started off in kind of just a very normal answer. And then but it also seemed to be kind of hesitating and I'm writing, I can't even actually see his face. And then he's like, you know, I don't really want to know if I should say this or not, because um, it's pretty early on in his career, but it's my personal opinion that if Paris is not the Outland Trophy winner, by the time he leaves here, he screwed something up because he should be. He's a ball player. He's good. He could step in anywhere on our offensive line and be fine. Like It was a moment of like a senior, or not a senior, Redshirt Jr., but a guy who's been here for four years and is probably heading off to the NFL. He told us he'll let us all know that on Tuesday. Um, so it was kind of a market down Monday for Josh Myers, except it was a Thursday and he's going to make the announcement on Tuesday, but he's saying, so, so tape it down Tuesday for his NFL decision. And then in the future, he's marking it down that Paris Johnson is going to win the Outland trophy. For people who don't know, the Outland trophy is for the best outland, best lineman in college football. And uh, Alex Leatherwood for Alabama just won it tonight uh, before we came on to do the podcast. So I just thought that that was kind of, it's, these weeks are always interesting because they're as much as they are about the game that's coming up. This year, it's been a little less than usual because, you know, last year you're going to guys like we talked about with our draft for the Big Ten championship game. You're going to guys who maybe haven't played to find out what their status is, what's going on with you. You're going to guys who may have an NFL draft decision trying to get them off to the side. This year, it's been all virtual and it's been very out front. You don't get to hide your interviews the same way. So there hasn't been as much of it this year, but I thought that was just – we're going to look back in a couple of years probably when we're talking about maybe Paris Johnson winning the Outland Trophy, and this is going to be the lead of like 12 different stories about – you remember that time Josh Myers, the week of the National Championship game, said that he was going to win the Outland Trophy? So I obviously got a lot of mileage out of this over the years when yeah. after Chase Young's first game at Ohio State, Jalen Holmes said that guy's yep. going to be the number one pick in the draft. Um, and I had like a five-question – response with Jalen over like what well, you're saying and so that's what this reminded me of that it's like it's a guy who's been around and and Jalen Holmes and Josh Myers I think are a lot alike and like they're both like really good players but they're not top 15 NFL draft pick guys they're just like veteran dudes who know how to do a job and are in the room with the super talented freshman and they see the skill but they also see the work because here's the thing Veterans like Jalen Holmes 
and Josh Myers don't say stuff about guys like that, even if they think it, if they think they don't work hard or if they think they're going to get big heads or if they think it's going to like, it's going to derail them. They only do it if they feel like it feeds the fire or that the guy just deserve, you know, they it's being honest, but they're also, you got to earn their honesty. And this is only, this is like the second time in my career that I've, remember something like to this degree and like Jalen Holmes was exactly right. Like who would know better? Who knows a young guy better than a veteran in his room? Nobody. I'm not sure the coaches know them better than the teammates that are in their room with them. So I would take this to the bank. Like, and you're right, Nathan, you, I mean, it's going to be the lead on this night, two years from now, when they're announcing the Outland Trophy, it'll be in December instead of January, but it's Outland Trophy night right now as we're talking, that will be the lead to your story about it. Two years ago, and because it's legit, man. If, you, if people can find the audio of that, um, we haven't been putting those up, but they're available out there. And if you, if you look, because he, he even starts off the question like he almost, like he almost knew that he was going to eventually get asked it, maybe not tonight, but he's, it's almost like, a, okay. And he starts talking, and then it's like – then he stops himself. But, again, I agree with you that he, he was not going to – he was not going to say that tonight unless – today unless he absolutely believed it. Like there was conviction in his voice. Because I think Josh Myers, of all people, there are guys – there are guys on every team who might say outlandish stuff once in a while, who might say more than is, is, than is proper for praising someone, even if they have good intentions. I don't think Josh Myers is that guy. He's one of the more level-headed guys on this team. And I think he knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly kind of the expectations he was putting on it. In fact, he even said, like, I almost didn't say this because he is so early. He's got things to work on. But I know Paris might hear this, and it's not going to send him in the wrong direction. I think there's a big difference, though, between these guys saying, oh, yeah, he's going to be a pretty good player and saying he's going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft or win the award that says you're the best player at your position. And uh, I mean, yeah, we've all the potential is obviously there. His first snap of the game, his first, his first actual meaningful snap, he got a pancake and he drove a linebacker almost seven yards to get it. And it's on one of Trey Sermon's better runs of the night. And then if you look at his highlights from his high school, I don't know how he made offensive line work and blocking look fun, but somehow he made it look entertaining in a highlight film. And that shouldn't be the case. And so it's, there's a reason why Ryan Day had felt like he needed to recruit him twice when he took over at this head coaching, the head coaching job and Josh Meyer saying things like that. And Paris Johnson doing things like he did against Clemson proves that. And didn't he also say, I thought an important thing. And all I know is what I read on the texts that I got at six, one, four, three, five, Oh, three, three, one, five. Is that, didn't he say he'd be starting on at 99% of the schools? Yes. That yeah. Like if, cause this happens and this is not, I don't think it's unfair by us, but it's like, okay, we thought maybe he'd win a job. He battled with Nicholas Petit Frere. Nicholas Petit Frere won. It turns out that Nicholas Petit Frere is playing at like like practically an all-American level and was a five-star himself and is two years older than Paris. But I also think it's possible. I think maybe we did it to a small degree. Maybe fans did it. Of like, oh, I thought Paris might win that job. Huh. I thought maybe he'd be – I know it's hard for a freshman, but I thought Paris might be like a fr- you know super, super special. And it's like Josh Murray saying like, he is super special. He is, he is unbelievable, but we're so good mm-hmm. 
He can't beat out Thayer Munford to Nicholas Petit Frere. And by the way, Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford have like not given up anything the whole year. So I thought that was also, and again, it's strategic. And this is why it's again similar to what Jalen Holmes, who by the way is exactly how you describe Josh, just like a level-headed guy, not prone to hyperbole. Why he said it about Chase back then, because that was only one game into his career, but Chase was the fifth defensive lineman that year. And it might be like, man, I thought this guy, it's Chase Young. I, he was a big recruit. Why is he their fifth defensive lineman? And it's like, because we have four NFL defensive linemen, veteran guys in this room. So don't, it might be a guy who's young. It really is so similar. Not that he's frustrated, but maybe he really in his heart thought he would win the job. He knows he's coming to Ohio State, but he thinks he's so talented. I can win a starting job as a true freshman. And you don't. And a veteran guy in your room says publicly, you're still special. You're not just good. You're still special. And I mean it. And it is a great way of like, don't you or anyone else take the fact that you're not starting right now as a sign of anything of being behind because you are rare. And I just think it's great that Jalen said it then. And I think it's great that Josh said it now. And to that point, I mean, Harry Miller. I mean, that can be both cautionary and to the point of Harry Miller was a five-star guy who came in here who he didn't win a job as a true freshman, and now he's a starting left guard. Now, he's had his own struggles being a first-year starter, but the idea of a five-star kid winning a job as a second-year, not winning a job as a first-year guy, but then coming in in year two and clearly putting his name on that job before they even get into the spring is pretty much out there. Yeah, that's not it, though. That's, I, I would say that's exactly what this is not. Because Harry Miller hasn't been good, right? Haven't we talked about that all year? Harry Miller didn't have a great year. Harry Miller is normal good. Harry Miller's like a normal five-star. What Josh Myers is saying and what Jalen Holmes was saying is, I'm not calling a shot on a guy winning a job in year two. I'm calling a shot on a guy in his first year in college being the best guy at his position two years from now. I don't think this is like Harry Miller at all. This is like next level, which is why it's rare. It's easy to say, hey, Harry Miller's going to be a good player. He might be a starter. Nobody thinks Harry Miller's going to be the best offensive lineman in college football in two years. This is rare. This is Chase Young territory. And Josh Myers put Paris Johnson in Chase Young territory. And that's why it matters. Some of my other favorite answers today, uh, one of them came from Josh Myers. And there was uh, another question. I think it was Trey Sermon also talking about Mayan Williams, who is a guy I thought he needed to have kind of his moment on the podcast because he's a guy that we were, for good reason, somewhat dismissive of, <laughs> fairly, fairly dismissive of, uh, as I'm writing for my, in one of my observations for Friday morning that, I mean, we, we said, I mean, this is a guy, he's, he was, he's filling a spot. He was brought in because they missed in their other recruiting for running backs. They needed a running back just to kind of balance the roster. So we got to go. They, they had an opportunity to get a guy who was Division One caliber, but not the caliber that we thought that was going to be a real contributor of any way at Ohio State. Certainly, again, go back three weeks. We're not thinking that Mayan Williams is playing frontline snaps, you know, game in the balance snaps against Clemson in the playoffs. And there he is, like he's bowling guys over. He had one of the big hits of the night that I thought kind of got um, overlooked when he put his shoulder in a Nolan Turner who just came into the game, but like a really good safety that Dabo Sweeney is, is really high on and says has played safety as well as anybody they've ever had at Clemson under him and kind of knocks him on his butt on a run. Um, it just a really special moment. And, and it was fun to hear Josh Myers kind of talk about 
you know, that's what I would be if I was a running back. That guy, that kid, the way that kid runs, that's how I would be as a running back. And I don't know that Mayan Williams, I don't think this, this, these brief looks at him necessarily mean his role grows in the future or that the ceiling really raises for him just because of what Ohio State has coming into this program behind him. If, if, if Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor are as special as we think they might be, there just might not be that opportunity for Mayan Williams to – and obviously if it wasn't for the injury to Master Teague, he wouldn't be playing right now either. But I just think it's – sometimes guys only get their moment in this opportunity. Maybe it comes and goes. Maybe it flashes a freshman. And it's, it's fun to watch a guy kind of seize that moment and, and take advantage of it. That guy was still champion at the beginning of the year, and we were talking about him the same way too. And um, who knows what's going on with Marcus Crowley, if he's healthy or not. But it's interesting how, you know, literally against Nebraska, it was like, still Chambers had two or three good ones runs in a game. Can he steal some snaps? No. And now he can't even be the guy when Master Teague is, is out to be the guy who goes out there against Clemson and gets those snaps. Now it's the true freshman. I mean, it's a great – those are great stories. And, again, you just have to keep it in context because it, right. it doesn't mean that Mayan Williams is going to be the starting running back at Ohio State mm-hmm. ever. He's, ever right. he's just not. He's just not. And, and, again, play it back when I'm wrong. But, like, that's not – that's just not how it's going to go. Um, but a guy, when you might have a three-snap chance, that might be the highlight of his Ohio State career. Yes. This is, that's my point. Yes. And you do it, man. Like, and that's not, and, and that's the thing sometimes, cause listen, we're not here for the players. We're here for the listeners and the readers. And we're shooting them straight, Ohio state fans. And that, that's not the plan for Ohio state trying to win a, a national championship to have, to give the ball 20 times a game to a guy who's going to go to Iowa state until the very last minute, who's ranked in the 300. It's just not the plan. But man, when you get your shot, you get three carries and you do something, and you help your team beat Clemson, he helped them. What a great story. That kid's going to carry that for the rest of his life, whatever he does. Whether he becomes Ohio State starting running back, or he's a backup here, or he ends up transferring and going somewhere else. When they needed him in year one, three plays, he did it. And he wasn't afraid, because when you're running back, man, you go in, sometimes you just go in and you put both hands on the ball, and you practically lay down in the line. Because you want to oh. make sure you don't fumble. And that guy yeah. didn't do any of that. Right. Credit no, no, no. to that and guy. We, we saw veteran running backs doing that for Ohio State early this season, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mayan Williams, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a little bit of credit here for Ohio State for putting its money where its mouth is a little bit. You know, again, we, I think Tony Offord was even getting questions about Mayan Williams that were somewhat dismissive of him and, and him kind of pushing back and saying, you know, we're, you know, we, we think the guy has some talent. Now there's no guarantee that he's ever going to play, but we think there's something there. And Ohio state let him, I guess, go prove that in practice. Now we don't know exactly what's going on with steel chambers. Like Steven said, he was the one who was in that position earlier this year, that kind of third in the pecking order. He's been nowhere to be found for a while, at least on the offense. Um, but I, I kind of give some credit to Ohio state's, coaching staff uh, assuming that there aren't even more injuries than we know about but just to say hey this is the guy this is the next guy this is the guy who we are comfortable with putting in the game and doing that because they also didn't have to give him the ball well here's the other thing though and i'm not i'm i'm not giving him any credit master teague is hurt marcus crowley seems like he might still be hurt yeah Mm -hmm. and uh we don't know what's up with steel chambers so okay but they didn't have anybody else Trey but Sermon also, was exhausted. They gave Trey Sermon had thirty three carries yeah, instead of thirty six. That was, 36. His, that was so, his one spell series, literally. 
And it's yeah, just and it was, because it was after the 91 yard run, that wasn't a 91 yard Literally. run. Right. So. Because they did a fake run. Cause whoever on the sideline told Trey, William, Trey Sturman to get up and run when 19 different points of his body had been on the ground, then tired him out unnecessarily. Yep. And then he was so tired. They said, we better get this guy break put in. They're like, who's next. It's like mine. Williams is like uh, coach. It's me. So I, I'm not – well, I am disagreeing with you. It's like I'm not giving no, him any credit. There's no, I, there was nobody else to put in. I'm giving Mayan Williams all the credit yes. in the world, and I get it. Yeah. The that coaches have to, to coach it. you up. That guy and, – and here's the other thing, too. I don't think Mayan Williams is good enough to be the starting running back at Ohio State. Mayan Williams might be good enough to be an All-American. The guy – Brees Hall at Iowa State's an All-American. And that's the school that recruited this guy to come in and like, oh, do you want to be the next guy behind that guy? I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm not going to say kids going to transfer ahead of time. Uh, this he absolutely did you see that guy has something. He's also no. like looks like he's five eight and a half. Yeah, he doesn't look. Let's he's see what Travion more. Henderson looks like. I know what Bijan Robinson, the guy they tried to get. I know what he looks like. Mayan Williams doesn't look like that. No offense to Mayan Williams, he knows it. But when they needed him, that's the, that's the only message, really. And that's we're all saying the same thing. Right. That guy balled out when his team needed him in a playoff semifinal. And it was only three snaps, but, man, he did the best he could on those three snaps, and it mattered, and that sticks with you. That sticks with the program. And I will say, Tony Alford's going to show that in a coaching clinic. Tony Alford's going to show that in a room. Tony Alford's going to show that next time he's got, hey, next man up. Put up the tape of Mayan Williams running 15 yards against Clemson like his hair's on fire when we needed him. So that's cool. Set up and a touchdown. He set up that 52 yard to Chris, o, Chris Olave. And, and hitting an all SEC defender in a way that he'll probably remember. The defender, not Williams. <laughs> uh, yep. Who else? Who else do we need to talk about after today? We can talk about George Battle. That interesting little dynamic there. Yeah, you break that down because, uh, you know, you're more involved with the recruiting side of things. But that's yeah. the one guy on this team that was, I think, the one guy who was committed to one of these teams and then flipped to the other one, was committed to Ohio State and then now is playing against him for Alabama. Yeah, that 2019 recruiting class, that's a blip. This is part of the reason why. He literally fl- – he was committed to Ohio State back in June of that year after coming on an official visit. And when Urban Meyer retired and Ryan Day took over on signing day, he flipped to Alabama, which – Nick Saban has kind of made a habit out of, of flipping guys on signing day. He did it this year to some LSU guys as well. And now in year two, as a top, 100, top 50 guy, he's the starter, which is what kind of the expectation there when you're a top 50 recruit. Your first year, you're kind of learning things, and then you start putting it on the field in year two. Now, obviously, he's not an all-American level, but, I mean, that's at a position where that's safety. And we, we've talked about the secondary all year. Now, imagine if – with all due respect to what Lathan Ransom has been doing this year, it's great that he's like just like Mayan Williams. That guy, except that guy's probably going to have a role in the future, unlike what Mayan Williams will have in the running back room with Lathan, Lathan Ransom. But he's still a true freshman who, back against Nebraska and back against Penn State, wasn't getting on the field at all until COVID came involved. Now, imagine that if you had a top 50 recruit, the number, the number two safety in the country, the number 43 overall player in his second year in the program. And you've already lost Ronnie Hickman and you've lost and Marcus Hooker hasn't played that well. And Bryson Shaw is also gone. And instead of having to play a true freshman who has probably three games worth of experience, you're playing a guy who already has a full year under his belt. 
And that's your other guy along with Josh Proctor. Jordan Battle would have won the starting safety job in camp if he was here. Yeah, that's my I guess. Mean, I, I don't want to compare him to Lathan Ransom. Until... Yeah. He would have beaten out Marcus Hooker. Because Marcus yeah. Hooker, we, Josh Proctor's talented. Marcus Hooker beat out, beat out Josh Proctor. Jordan Battle would have beat out Marcus Hooker. Yeah. This is your starting single high safety. He's playing at Alabama. When we talk about the, the lull, like the little tiny lull, that happened in like one class, one and a half classes, and it's mostly in the secondary. All that stuff we said with the last recruiting class about how Kerry Combs had to like rebuild the secondary. Jordan Battle's one of the reasons why they had to rebuild the secondary because he should be here and he's there. So it happens, and I know you said Alabama does that on and they flip guys on signing day. They're not usually flipping Ohio State guys. No. So like that is a – It's not 50 guys. It's not – the difference between who's going to win the national championship game, but Ohio state, but also when you get flipped on signing day and that's, I don't know. I don't remember the ins and outs. I'm sure Ohio state wasn't completely blindsided, but they didn't replace him. Sometimes it's like, Oh, you had a guy, then he flips and it's like, Oh, we lost the number. Even like, uh, like Devontae Smith, like this year, this Devontae Smith, they lost in Alabama. Well, that's because Jordan Hancock was coming. And even if and that, they, that they upgraded, but even if it's like, yeah. Oh, well, we lost, the number 61 player in the country. And so then we got the number 183 player in the country. Mm-hmm. This was like, they didn't really, I don't think they really replaced him. They yeah. just lost a top 50 guy at a position where they really could use some help. And we, I mean, here we are. Here we are. It's a national championship game. And we still have some questions about the safety and they're playing a true freshman. <laughs> so yeah, Jordan battle, no matter where he went to school, he would have been starting in this game. I know from my conversation with Baron Browning last year that that was the decision at the end of the day, Alabama, Ohio State. In fact, I think he even screwed around with Urban Meyer or something like that and told him he was committing to Alabama or something like that and was actually committing to Ohio State. Was there anybody else that was like – that was like the last two battling for, for anybody on the on these rosters? I mean – J.C. Latham, obviously, but and we see who won that one, but not on this roster right now, no, that I can think of. But Doug would know that better than me. Cause I mean, now, now to like try to run through it in my head. Yeah, it's tough going back moment. four or five years in the spot. Um, yeah, but it just seems like there should maybe be more obvious answers to that, and I think that's probably gonna if we when they play again, if they don't play again in the playoffs, when they start playing again in the regular season, I think that will be a bigger number. Don't you? Don't you feel like this is getting more of a there's more head-to-head things maybe th- popping up here. I think the quarterback thing gets interesting because obviously they got Quinn Ewers, but going whoever is after that with the way Alabama is now also recruiting quarterbacks, I'll be interested to see if there's a quarterback whose top three is Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State when it all comes down to it. I mean, there was a time where it was more, right? I mean, a couple of years ago it would have been more. Hmm. I mean, Joey Bosa told a very famous story about like being in Nick Saban's office and Nick Saban having like a clicker that he like points at the door and it automatically shuts the door of his office. And Joey Bosa was like, Oh my God. Um, it's like one step know. beyond the clapper. And, and so, but like when urban Meyer, when urban Meyer is down there in the South, right. I mean, getting some guys, I don't know who Von Bell's other finalists were. I don't know who Raekwon McMillan's other finalists were. I think Raekwon was from Georgia, probably had Georgia. And again, you know, we made a big deal many moons ago when Nick Saban was up here, you know, dinking around in Ohio a little bit and was recruiting Marshawn Lattimore. And it was like, okay, is there it, like Nick Saban's going to come to Cleveland and take a top 50 kid out of Cleveland? What is happening? And it was like, no, it didn't happen. But Nick Saban spent a little time on that. So um, 
I actually think they might be in a, I mean, Latham obviously just happened, but they might be in a little lull of that right now, just with where Ohio state is because Ohio state's in Texas, Mm -hmm. Ohio state's in California. Right. I mean, Ohio state, some of these other guys, I mean, I just tried to go through my head of like, well, who were the, who's like the second place team? Actually, that's a good off season. That's not a bad off season story for you, Steven, to go through the entire Ohio state roster and just even go by their final three or their final five, whatever they officially released, and tally up all the other schools. Who were the other finalists for the guys who came to Ohio State? So I'm just trying to think of that. It's like, well, Pete Warner, you know, he's from Indiana. It wasn't really him. Tough. It would have to be a really national guy. Like, it couldn't be yeah. just Midwest people. I don't know. Like- I, I, it, this is no sense in me talking – poorly about recruiting like I don't know Sean Wade's from Jacksonville I don't know where Bama was for Sean Wade it's like Tyreek Smith well he was going to go to Penn State he's like a you know Zach Harrison was down to Michigan you know so a lot of these guys that are more like Midwestern guys it wasn't Bama but yeah I mean I think to your point Nathan I'll be curious but part of the other reason is it's like if Ohio State's going to have success in California and success in Texas and success in the Midwest then because Ryan Day and some of these guys don't have as many natural success in Virginia and that kind of place Trevion Henderson. I don't, who was Trevion Henderson's other finalist? I don't know. But that they I aren't going to – they maybe won't run into Bama as much in SEC country because maybe they don't have to be in SEC country as much and they don't have the natural urban connection. And it's like, listen, man, we'll go get five stars in California. But if Sark shuts down Texas, then maybe – but, again, who are you going to – it's like we talk about going to areas of weakness. I think Ohio State's going to spend a lot of time in Saban territory. It's like, oh, who are you recruiting? It's like, oh, we got this really good kid in Alabama. <laughs> oh, his, he's from uh, Tennessee. He can get to Alabama's campus in like two and a half hours. We're going to spend a boatload of time on that guy. It's like, really? Are you? So, anyway. Fair point. Speaking of Michigan, you brought it up. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Don Brown's hire in Alabama – or, in, sorry, Arizona as the defensive coordinator – so getting Brian Day didn't end him. He just chased him several hours out west. He just chased him to the worst conference in college football right now. No, no, no. He ended him. Arizona is <laughs> getting zombie Don Brown. Yeah. He is back from the dead. This is not this is not Don. This is not the real Don Brown. So I get it. Listen, people like their friends. And I, and I'm not an expert on the subject because I don't have any friends. But it's like, okay, I get it. You're a coach and you hire your friend. And if it's like Ryan Day and Jeff Halfley and you're like coming up the ranks together and like you've known each other forever, even like Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano, right? That Urban Meyer finally got to hire Greg Schiano and they'd been recruiting. Like that's kind of like, hey, we were and I respected him and we were fighting on opposite sides. And I thought to myself, if that guy is ever, I'm going to hire him. When you become a head coach and it's like, hey, who's your coordinator? It's like, well, one time I coached for this team and they had a coordinator and he got fired. So him? I'm like a little bit like, really? That's your most inspired choice? It's like Jed Fish, six years ago, worked at Michigan when Don Brown was a defensive coordinator. So Don Brown gets fired. Jed Fish gets hired. And he's like, oh, cool. I don't have to think more than like two steps in this process. I'll just take that guy. So whatever. Like, it's fine. But I, I also would not be uh, – I would hope if I were in a situation, I would be slightly more inspired in my choice, but this is how coaches operate. I also think it's just too bad that based on the relative placement of those programs right now in the college football landscape, not geographically, 
as far as where they are uh, winning games, Ohio State may never play a Don Brown defense again. I mean, unless Ryan Day is calling up Gene right now, he's like, hey, man, can we get, can we like, bunt, <laughs> can we bump Tulsa for next year and get Arizona in there? It's like, we'll go there. We'll go there three season years in a row. Yeah, season opener every year. We're just going to play Arizona and get our offense clicking every, real quick. Every year's season opener <laughs> oh, at Arizona. That would be the greatest way. Uh, yeah, we got a first year starting quarterback. We need to get his confidence up. Can we just call up Arizona? Well, next year they're locked in with Minnesota. That's a Big Ten game, but maybe in, a, yeah. in another year they could. They All right, could do uh, pick else. me up. I'll pick me up. He throws three picks against Minnesota, comes back and throws for 500 yards against Don Brown. He's all good. Six days after he was hired and one day after his new school <laughs> announced a three game series with Ohio State, Don Brown has quit. We can only hope. The, the fun, the fun things in life just never, they never actually work out. But to be fair, to be fair. This is what I thought of Greg Madison. It's like, oh, Ryan Day needs a defensive coordinator and like Urban Meyer knows a guy. So like Jeff Halfley was at least like the legitimate, like, you know, here we go, like hot. And then the other half of that was like the old guy that was familiar. And it worked. It worked. I mean, I, I was all over Greg Madison, and he seemingly has done a very good job in two years here. So maybe Jed Fish wants a familiar face. He'll establish a defense. He'll have a younger co-coordinator, not expect Don Brown to hang around forever. I get it. But it's like new coaches, I guess. You want to be surrounded by people you're comfortable with. But, like, comfort, I'll tell you, is not always the answer, especially when comfort gets 60 dropped on it by Ohio State. Before we sign off, Doug, are we doing the picks pod Friday night live, and did we get the uh, the capacity thing figured out? So I have permission to increase the capacity, Buckeye Talk. Um, so I think I'll try to do that. I guess my question is this. Would we want to do it on Saturday? Is that better for anybody? Does it allow us to – learn anything more we could do it maybe saturday afternoon and then that way that way we could if we wanted to drop like uh i think we're going to do a rapid so we have two podcasts left before the game the saturday podcast and the sunday podcast because we're going every day i thought we'd do a live picks zoom and then we do like a rapid fire just take questions and kind of cover any last stuff and they can go in any order so we could do the rapid fire first drop it saturday do the live zoom sometimes saturday during the day and then drop it sunday or we could do it Friday night. I don't know what's better for the people. Let's, the ask, people let's, let's ask the texters. Would they rather do it Friday night or would they rather do it like Saturday during the day? Because we're not doing it Saturday night. But we'd like to – I mean, sometimes we love seeing familiar faces in there, right? Fantastic. But also we've had people at times say, like, I can't do that time. I mm-hmm. wish we could do it another time. And I think maybe Saturday afternoon, while maybe bad for some people, would maybe open it up for some other people. So are you guys good either time or is there one that's better for you? I think I can make either time work. We would have to define Saturday afternoon because I have to go look at a home Saturday morning. Can I say that it's possible that the best time for you to be deciding on when you're going to move is maybe not while the team you're covering is getting ready to play the national championship game. Yeah, no, it's just when my lease is up. It's, it is what it is. Like, it's not like it's a surprise that they're playing for the national championship. It's like, well, they're not going to win. They won't. It's like, it's Ohio State. It's National True. Championship Week. The, a Saturday afternoon can be any time. So we could do it at 1. We could do it at 4.30. We could do it at 11.30 in the morning. I think Saturday, if we can swing, it might be fun to just maybe get some people who are like, ah, oh, I have to put the kids to bed or I work on weeknights or something. 
and maybe Saturday afternoon will open something up. So why don't we plan? We'll send out a text. You said, so Nathan, your idea is we'll send out a text tonight and say, when would you rather do it? And the high vote wins. Doing your little poly poll things. Yeah. All right. I'll do a poll. I'll do a poll. And then we'll, uh, well, the texters will know. So it's like one of those things. We don't have to tell the podcast audience. This is like, it's going to be like time travel when you guys all listen to this on Friday morning. We'll have already sent you the text asking you, when do you want to have the pod? When do you want to answer? Could, will you please answer this question that we have already asked you? Yeah, no, so that'll be good. We'll let the text, yeah, we'll let the text decide. So, but, but two more pods coming for us. We said we'd do one every day until the national title game. So that's what we're doing. So we have two more pods coming Saturday and Sunday. And we'll make, I'm going to make an announcement because I don't want to, and this, this is a reward for the people who came this far. Uh, I am not making a pick in this game. And the reason that I am not making a pick in this game is that in 2014, after picking Ohio State to lose to Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship and picking Ohio State to lose to Alabama in the semifinal, <laughs> I said I'm not making a pick for the national championship game. Because, and it's not that I'm afraid to be wrong, because if I was afraid to be wrong, I'd be in a different business because I've been wrong so much. But I don't deserve to be right. So I didn't want to be like, oh, I thought they'd lose to Wisconsin and they won 59 nothing. It's like, oh, yeah, I picked them to beat Oregon. I knew they had it the whole way. So listen, I picked these guys to win the national championship before the season, as I think we all did. I picked them to lose to Clemson. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. But people read my when, – when six years ago when I didn't pick it, they read it as, like, I thought that Ohio State was going to beat Oregon. But, like, I didn't – I wasn't going to come out and say that after being wrong. And that is kind of what I thought. If you would have put, like, you've got to pick, I would have picked Ohio State in that game. But I didn't deserve to make that pick. I have no idea. I do, I'll, I'll talk all about this, and I'll break it down every way. I don't know where I am yet. I'll tell you where I am, sort of, but I'm not going to make a pick because I don't deserve – to say that I picked Ohio State to win the national championship. So now, Nathan, you were wrong too, but you're in a different spot because you don't have my miserable track record of being wrong for 15 years. So, so I think both of you guys definitely should make a pick. But again, I'm not trying to be a chicken, um, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'll be very curious to hear where you guys come down on this. And also, I, want, I definitely want to watch some more Alabama film, which is kind of – I hope the Texters pick Saturday because I wouldn't mind spending all day Friday watching some more Alabama games because uh-huh. uh, I haven't watched as many as I wanted to so far this week because the Browns all have COVID and the Indians traded their best player. And that's what's happening this week in a pandemic while everything else is happening in the world. What a week! And, and Nick Saban's daughter tweet, tweeted crazy stuff. How about that? We still have. And that's, by just the way. The, and that's just in the sports world. There's actually crazy things happening in the real world too. It's a the, fun week. The Browns play Sunday night. There is a tech. There is another virtual press conference Sunday morning. You are free to get on there and ask Nick Saban about Kristen Saban Sabers Sabi, whatever Saban? her name is. Chris, oh, no, she's okay. got a last name too. Kristen Saban Saris. You can ask her um, what you guys him. What's up with her? Okay. Are you guys? When are you guys going down? Mom, Sunday, Sunday. yeah, Sunday afternoon. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, so we'll let we'll let uh, I'll get the text ready right now to send it out to the subscribers. Well, hear that, folks? You already have a text from Doug from like twelve hours ago. But uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us uh, for another episode. Like you said, we're gonna we're gonna have the picks pod. You guys will decide or help us decide when it's gonna be. 
Look forward to seeing you there. It's going to be another live one. The last one was fantastic. Some of the best uh, banter that we've had so far, just among the people there chatting in the little chat box, whatever. It was a good time. I'm, I'm hoping for another one, and we're going to try to get that problem fixed with the – we will have that problem fixed with the capacity, so everyone will be able to get in. And with that, I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Maurice, and he's Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.